The point is about the research. All right, okay? research. Go for it. There is a pier in Cleveland called the Edgewater Pier, and it is like the literally, <laughs> I like it's it's literally the worst pier I've ever seen in my life. Hold on, like, we're, we're rating piers now. Hold on, go on. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> like it's look. in Cleveland, of course it's bad. <laughs> Nothing in Cleveland is good. <laughs> You are listening to episode 44 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots. We're going to take on the man. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. So first of all, I'd like to say, nice that you actually have a little bit more of a spiel this time, Carlos. And secondly, uh, why haven't we taken on the man before tonight? Listen, for the most part, Dave, you have to remember, and uh, spoiler, I am the man. But today we're going to take on the the other self-proclaimed man, and we'll get into that in a minute. But one of the main things we're going to do in the main topic is we're going to talk about the American League Central, which is continuing our epic series of completely unresearched and poorly thought through predictions related to the various divisions in Major League Baseball. After the main news and notes, including me having a little bit of fun taking on the man and also uh, looking into a couple of different things that are going to be kind of interesting. First thing that I'm going to talk about here. I watched the whole series of All or Nothing Philadelphia Eagles, which I believe I mentioned is a thing I was looking forward to. Yeah, you did talk about that last week. Yeah, so I'm not going to go into the whole thing, you know, blow by blow, but I'll give you a quick synopsis. As usual, uh, the Amazon folks did a really good job with it. I do enjoy it. I like it better than Hard Knocks. I think they do a really great job. And, you know, they've got John Hamm as, like, the narrator. I think it's really well produced. I will say, if you don't get a chance to check those out, and you do have Amazon Prime, and you like football, definitely check it out, because I think they do a very good job picking players and kind of little storylines that are kind of interesting to follow through the course of the season. And obviously the Philadelphia Eagles that year were in the terrible NFC East division were, you know, it was them and the Dallas Cowboys kind of going neck and neck for which mediocre team was going to make the playoffs. In the end, Philadelphia did make it, but when they got there, you know, Carson Wentz got a concussion in his first career playoff game that he actually was starting, uh, you know, without Nick Foles around to take care of it. And it ended up falling on um, McCowan in order to try to take over. Now, it was interesting, though, because you got a, if you watch the series, you're going to find that there's a lot of McCowan content. And it, it centers nicely because then, obviously, when you get to the playoff game where McCowan has to take over uh, as a 40-year-old quarterback, a backup quarterback, getting in there a journeyman quarterback, it does add a little bit of, a, of an impact that, uh, you know, he fought to try to keep his team in the game and try to find a way to scratch and claw and find a way to win that particular game. And then, obviously, he was devastated when they didn't win because he also, I believe, he tore his hamstring during that game. Uh, and he stayed in because he was trying really desperately to win that game. And they had a shot. They had a chance uh, to win that playoff game. But it adds a little bit of context because obviously they had the cameras in the back and the team consoling him because he had been there the whole season as kind of um, you know, a rah-rah uh, cheerleading guy because he's the backup quarterback. Nobody expects him to actually have to play. And the fact that he was put in that position, did what he could, fought through injury to you know, finish the game, and then in the end, it didn't work out. It was um, if you're building, if you're scripting like a drama, you have a pretty good one for a little mini tragedy in there. And you have obviously all the other storylines and things that build up with the different players. You're usually yeah. going to find some players in there that you're going to you're going to find that you enjoy and that you like and maybe players that you didn't think of or players that you didn't really know anything about. And it's kind of cool to see it from that perspective. That's why I do recommend those uh, series if you do get a chance to check them out and you like football. All right. So let's talk about this one really quickly, and then I'll get to my personal favorite. This is the one I was saving. This is uh, where I'm going to have a little fun. All right. Let's talk about Roberto Luongo having his number retired tonight by the Florida Panthers. 
Which I is, feel that's a well-deserved honor. It is, it is certainly, but it is kind of funny, and this kind of leads into a more general question. So first, let me get to the main points. Roberto Longo definitely deserves that. Uh, he actually was drafted by the uh, New York Islanders and was traded right at the beginning of his career, basically. In his second season, he was traded to the Florida Panthers. So for the majority of his career, even though he might be best known by some folks for his uh, playoff runs and you know Stanley Cup final run with Vancouver, the majority of his career was as a Florida Panther, and he actually and he has... Went, he went back there after Vancouver, too, did he He not? finished his career there. Yeah, so yeah. he started his career there and played a lot of seasons, basically. Well, I should say, like I said, New York Islanders, technically, he began there, but then the majority of his early career was as a Florida Panther go- goaltender, and then he went to go play in Vancouver successfully for many years there, and then at the end of his career, he spent the last several seasons being a Florida Panther goaltender, and he decided to retire rather than go for 500 career wins, which he probably could have made with one more season in there um but he decided not to just stick around just for that but it is kind of interesting because really really there's no other florida panther player who's really worthy of being immortalized in retiring their number the franchise doesn't have that kind of history to be able to draw from or that much success really to be able to draw from to be able to pick anybody anybody so it's um, so it's kind of interesting where you got a franchise like that, but at the same time, it's like okay, you're the retired number of a really generally crummy franchise, but you were a great player and people acknowledge that. But at the same time, the franchise sucked. So it's yes. kind of a weird legacy. Very true. It's kind of a bizarre legacy, but it is interesting. Uh, like I said, well deserved, just the same. But it's like it's the Florida Panthers, so it's it it's weird. Do you know Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. So you're always going to have teams like that in every league, but that's kind of an interesting thing. So this is the one I was uh, enjoy- ready to uh, enjoy myself a little bit. This is where you're going to talk about the man? We're going to talk about the man a little bit. But the man in this case is going to be, and I'm going to uh, position this in a little different way. When no, we're not talking about Becky Lynch in the WWE, right? No. But I love that you brought that reference. I, I had to. I had to. Just for you, Carlos. Yeah. I like Becky Lynch, So, but we're not going to talk about that, the man. Um, so, but we are going to talk about, though, sports fans, delusional sports fans. But Spike Lee, Spike Lee. Oh, we're going to talk Lee? about Spike Lee. Oh, we're going to talk about Spike Lee, Dave. But here's the thing. Let me let me let me give the background first and then and then we'll get into it because I think there's a couple of interesting angles on this. So l- All right. l- let me give the background and then we'll talk about it. Gotcha. Bottom line, if you haven't heard, Spike Lee, obviously, New York Knicks super fan. God knows why. But New York Knicks super fan. He was uh, he had a bit of an altercation with Knicks security where, you know, they were apparently upset by basically Orders of James Dolan. Realistically, the security doesn't care. But Spike Lee has been coming in, according to him, for many years, even decades, coming from the employee entrance. Um, at this point, if Spike Lee wants to have his own personal entrance built in Madison Square Garden that's just a Spike Lee entrance, he should have it because whatever. Agreed. Uh, but the thing is, he's been coming in through the employee entrance, and apparently James Dolan decided that this was the hill he wanted to die on and decided to make a big power play about it and tried to get them to, according, again, to Spike Lee, uh, was trying to get the security guys to tell him to go back outside and come back around and go back in the other entrance. Now, Spike Lee correctly states that when you scan the, when you scan the ticket, it only scans once, so they're not going to let you in the second time. Uh, so it's a really stupid thing. And when you get out of the arena, this is in any sporting event that I'm aware of. When you get out, the ticket only scans once and then you don't get to come back in. Yeah. Some arenas you can scan it like you can they some that do have in and out privileges. You have to scan the ticket again and go out and then scan it to come back in. It is possible to do that. I'm not sure what I'm, I'm guessing in New York. The policy is once you're in, you're in. Uh, it is. I mean, the technology exists to do that. And some stadiums do that. I know TFC used to. I don't think they do anymore. 
but some stadiums do. Yeah. I think, like I said, I'm not suggesting it's not possible, but it's one of those things where, like, it, it, it'd be redundant. The fact that you scanned it the first time and he's in the building, you know, move on. The bottom line, though, is obviously he didn't like that. Now, you can argue about whether, um, you know, how somebody should respond to that or whatever. But anyway, regardless, uh, apparently it became a thing. And then in the end, Spike Lee was there and he got back to his seats eventually. And then James Dolan kind of cornered him for something. And in the end, they used that as a bit of a photo op. And I'll explain where that comes into play. So the point is that Spike Lee obviously uh, wasn't happy about that whole scenario, that whole situation. Uh, in the end, he did sit, go to his seats and watch the game. And then um, as a result of that, his, he has a relationship with Stephen A. Smith of ESPN fame, and he went on to first take on ESPN to kind of say his side of the story. And as part of that, he explained kind of what, I've, what I mentioned to you, what I've said to you just, just a moment ago. And, you know, obviously uh, his big pronouncement coming out of that was that he is not going to go to any more Knicks games at, for the rest of the year and isn't coming back until next year. And also they mentioned at the same time the – the amount of money that he has spent on these season tickets because it is effectively, I think, about $3,400 a game, works out to about $300,000 a year. And over the course of his lifetime, he's probably spent in excess, you know, with um, inflation considered, in excess of potentially $10 million on these season tickets over the course of his lifetime as a fan, which is absurd if you, and I'll get to that in a second. But the point is that he obviously has spent good money on this team, and he's basically a Knicks ambassador because even in that first take episode when they're interviewing him, he's basically, he's dressed up like, uh, and somebody used a Ronald McDonald if he was wearing Knicks colors. And basically, yeah, he's got the toque on, he's got the, he's got the glasses. Like, he, the only thing he was missing, like, New York Knicks clown shoes. Like, it was absurd how he's decked out so blatantly in the colors. And but I mean, that's Spike Lee for you, right? For sure, for sure. And here's the thing. Super fan, super fan, whatever. I get it. Uh, and at the end of the day, you spend good money. We, we talked about a Raptor super fan in last week's episode. Yes, so, we did. And, I, and it makes me think just the fact that we mentioned the word super fan so much is that we should go back to your original idea and see if, if teams can start trading super fans. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. But the reality of it is that Spike Lee has earned the right to do a fair bit. As far as Madison Square Garden is concerned and as far as the New York Knicks are concerned, he ha should have a fair bit of latitude. I don't think that's unreasonable, but I'll get into in a second why I, I disagree with some of this. As a result of this whole in of the whole interview and the backlash and everything, the New York Knicks PR on Twitter uh, gave a response. And that was where I said that photo came into play because they used it as part of their tweet. But they included right. a statement. Now, I'll read you the statement here because the statement is fun. Okay, so this is a statement from the New York Knicks PR Twitter. The idea that Spike Lee is a victim because we have asked him repeat, repeatedly asked him to not use our employee entrance and instead use a dedicated VIP entrance, which is used by every other celebrity who enters the garden, is laughable. It's disappointing that Spike would create this false controversy to perpetuate drama. He is welcome to come to the garden anytime via the VIP or general entrance, just not through our employee entrance, which is what he and Jim agreed to last night when they shook hands. So remember, I mentioned to you a moment ago about the picture of shaking hands. And on this tweet, they included a picture of the employee entrance, because as you do, and then also a picture uh, of basically Spike Lee standing on an angle with James Dolan, looking like confused, effectively, and James Dolan basically not looking at him while having like a limp-wristed handshake. It's like two open hands and calling oh that a gosh. handshake. It, so I'm just giving you the visual, but you can find that on the Twitter of the New York Knicks PR. And, which is hilarious. And it's structured in such a way where you can see the clock. It's basically like from a great distance. It looks like it was taken on a, on a cheap cell phone camera. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, so that's the New York Knicks in a nutshell. 
So there's a couple of angles that I can kind of take with this. Uh, the biggest one is this. It's possible for two things that are seemingly contradictory to be right at the same time. So this is my opinion on this right now. I think the New York Knicks botched this horribly. I think Spike Lee has every right, within reason, to be able to do quite a bit, as far as that franchise is concerned, and considering that he's effectively a walking billboard for this franchise. A franchise that's terrible, just so that we're all clear and on the same and page. And has been terrible for most of the time that Spike Lee has gone to games. It's been, it's been terrible for most of the time that it has existed. The New well, York that too, but I mean, you know, I didn't really want to get into how bad they've been for how long. The thing is, the New York Knicks. It's the New York Knicks are in a situation where, to be perfectly blunt, with all due respect, are one of the most overrated signature franchises in all of professional sports. They've won I two championships. I don't think they're one of. I think they are yeah. the most overrated signature sport in any sport ever in the history of life. Yes, they've won two championships since 1946, and the last one was almost 50 years ago. Because it was 1970, 1970, we're 50 years now, and 1973, which will be 50 years, in three years. Yeah. At that point, like, what do you want to brag about? They should have folded you. Forget about forget about being a storied franchise. They could have folded you multiple times, and I don't, I, I can't argue against it. The the reality is that uh, James Dolan has is running this franchise. He's making money in spite of himself because of real estate. They own Madison Square Garden, which is a historic venue, but the franchise. It's borderline irrelevant. Like they're not they're not even in discussion for anything. There's a reason why free agents don't really look at them. There's a reason why they basically need to keep looking into the draft for a savior and they're terrible and they do embarrassing things like this. And they've got an idiot owner who can't handle people chanting him to sell the team. From that perspective, Spike Lee has a lot of ammunition. And and you can agree to him. There's a lot there where I have no issue with Spike Lee or anyone else who would argue that they have mistreated this guy and that they have um, a legitimate case. To, you know what? He can get. He can say as much flack about them as he wants to because he's earned the right. And to be blunt, he's paid for the right. I'm going to talk about now why that also works both ways. So the first part of it is, is Spike Lee in the right? Maybe, maybe not. Second thing, from the Knicks' perspective, do they have the right to tell him to go which entrance he can come in? Yeah, they do. While I agree that he should to be perfectly blunt, given his stature with the franchise and what he has done for them as far as being an ambassador and the fact that he is basically their highest profile. He's their Jack Nicholson, you know, for the Lakers. But being that person basically means that we should afford him certain privileges. But if you're not going to do that, you do have the right to tell him, you know what, you go in that entrance. I don't care if you're Spike Lee. You can do that. Yeah. The reality is you do have that right. It is your building. You can do that. The approach that was taken was wrong. The statement, it's the concept itself is not necessarily wrong. But then here's where Spike Lee kind of loses it with me. The reality is this. Your big statement was that you're not coming to any more games. If I'm James Dolan, my answer is so what? To be, If I'm advising James Dolan and he really doesn't like Spike Lee, I'd be like, you know what, dude? When he comes back next season, hire somebody, a fan, to walk by and spill drinks on him. Like... Treat him like absolute garbage. Have people throw crap at him. Like, you can do whatever you want. You know why? Because for all of Spike Lee's talk, Spike Lee is paying for the privilege of being treated like crap. Why on earth would you agree to this? If you're a person who can afford $300,000 a year season tickets, I don't want to be treated like crap And I, if, I, if I'm buying a $5 ticket by the franchise. If I'm paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars per game, Mm-hmm. You may not necessarily roll out the red carpet and, you know, give me my own personal chauffeur to the seat, but at the bare minimum, treat me with a modicum of respect. And this franchise can't manage that. 
Yeah, exactly. So if you're paying $300,000 a year for the privilege of being treated like garbage, well, then you're an idiot for spending it. I, yeah. I don't feel bad for you. So on the one hand, does Spike Lee have a valid point? To a certain degree, yes. Do, can, do the Knicks have the right to tell him which entrance to go in? They do. But at the same time, do I feel bad for Spike Lee? No, I don't. Because you spent the money, and you spent the money so they can treat you like garbage, and they know they can treat you like garbage because you're still spending the money. This is a situation where you can vote with your wallet. It is a much bigger statement to say, you know what? I'm not renewing my season tickets. Screw you guys. I'm going to watch it from my big TV in my big house, and I'm not giving you a dime. Or better yet, say, hey, you know what? This is the time. I'm from Brooklyn. I'm now a Nets fan. Yeah, but the, the thing is, if, if, he, if he's going with the concept that I'm a Knicks fan for life and I can't abandon the team... I get that, but that doesn't no, mean you I, have I hear to patronize. No, I don't think he is going. I I don't think he is going to abandon the team. Yeah, and the thing is, that doesn't mean you have to patronize the team. No. And, Do you also find it odd? Sorry, something else that the Knicks have a PR Twitter account. Like, is that a thing that sports teams normally have? I actually think that a lot of corporations now have a separate PR Twitter account, especially bigger ones. I've seen I've seen that with some companies that have like a specific account. Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a simple example. The Wendy's account is a PR account. It's for the PR team. No, that I get. Yeah. But I'm saying, but this is where the Knicks have the Knicks have the Knicks account, right? Like they have, and they have a separate PR. Yeah, I've seen that right? too. Right. So they have like at New York underscore Knicks PR. Yep. And then they have their own, just New York Knicks Twitter too. No, I get it, but uh, but I have seen that because sometimes you want to have an account. Where you spam it with different, um, where you spam it with different advertising and all that, which you can do, or like highlights of the team or whatever, and then you can have a PR one where you're releasing statements, like like this statement that was released. So if the if the company has you know press releases and things like that, you can do that with your PR account, and then your general business can be done with your other Twitter account. I have seen a little bit of that. It's not common, but it's not completely unusual. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so I get it, but at the same time, this PR account is very clearly being... Basically, that statement was written by James Dolan, and everyone pretty much knows it, which makes it hilarious and also makes it pathetically petty. And yeah. to be blunt, the reason why I like the NBA is I'm here for the pettiness, Dave. Well, yeah, exactly. Who goes for the basketball? Who needs that? Anybody can see basketball. I'm here for Even the pettiness. I, I love the basketball. And I also am surprised that the uh, New York Knicks PR account um, has you know a substantial amount of Twitter followers too. Well, if you're gonna get idiocy like this, when you follow it, Dave, don't you don't you want to receive statements like this? We can be like, really, guys. I mean, there's forty forty three thousand people who follow that account. That's actually kind of weak, to be honest with you. That's actually not that much compared to two point one million people who follow the actual Knicks account. Exactly, but uh, yeah, that's my general kind of overarching thoughts and feelings. Like on the one hand, I get that Spike Lee has the right to be upset about the way he was treated. I agree that the Knicks have the right. To tell him which entrance he goes in. But if he is being treated that badly, uh, you know, Spike Lee, you do have one real recourse. You know, talking to Stephen A. Smith on first take, that's cute. And that's fine. You, it's It makes good content. It we, we had a nice little conversation about it. But at the same time, it's like, dude, if you drop your 300000 it's not going to make any difference to James Dolan. But it is going to speak volumes to the fans that do go there and suddenly don't see Spike Lee there anymore. That That would say that would be a statement. And it would be a statement to the NBA as well because he is a high-profile person who attends the games, especially in that franchise because the NBA itself would probably look and go, you know what, we got to do something about this because we got to protect the brand. 
because the New York Knicks, as they're presently being run, do not help the brand. Not even a little bit. That's what I'm saying. So you're just basically giving – you're basically putting pressure on Adam Silver to react if you do that. But you come back next season and keep showing up to games and he spits on you every game. Well, then who, who – who, what right do you have to complain then? You pay for the privilege of him spitting on you. Congratulations. Yep, I agreed. I 100% agreed, Carlos. Yep. Now, one more thing I'll play off of that real quick, not related directly to the Spike Lee, but do you think that there needs to be, especially with a lot of fans, there has to be like a, like a crossover. There has to be a, a threshold where it's like, you know what, guys, if I'm going to pay money for this, this is a bridge too far. Like, you can't treat me with this kind of disrespect. I'm not even talking about like security trying to escort you out of the building. What I'm talking about is if the product that you're providing is so terrible or lame or you're genuinely not trying to really improve the situation and then you keep jacking up my ticket price there has to be like a threshold point where like look i'll watch the games but i'm not going to directly patronize you anymore i'm not going to take money out of my pocket to give it to you i don't i mean i don't know where that that is and where that i mean i guess it's different for each person but i mean you know celebrities like to be pampered so I'm not even talking about celebrities. I'm talking about the average person. There has to be like a certain cutoff where it's like because a lot of these franchises and we'll talk about it more in the coming when we get to the American League East. I'm going to have some fun with the Blue Jays. But the but the reality is you can't have a mediocre franchise continuously raise ticket prices and then genuinely expect there to be the support because I mean, that's what I mean. Look at what I mean. And and rarely does this happen. But if you look at a recent example with TFC. You know, for the first 10 plus years of their existence, they were garbage, right? Garbage, 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 garbage. And they kept raising ticket prices and raising ticket prices and raising ticket prices. And all of a sudden people were like, I'm not paying to watch this crap. And then lo and behold, they're like, oh, we're going to drop our season ticket prices. Because so many people just weren't renewing. Exactly. And that's where I'm saying about the voting with your wallet thing. That's the point that I'm trying to get across with that. And But the other thing is... And correct me if I'm mistaken, I believe, isn't that one owned by Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment the whole time? Yes, it is. Yeah, the so... Enti- yeah, the entirety of the franchise so has their, been owned by their, their MO historically has been like, we're just going to push the envelope here to see how far we can push you guys. Because the Maple Leafs, it turns out there is no limit. It turns out we can push that one indefinitely. But with yeah, TFC, they ran I think they may be the only franchise in professional sports that you can just charge whatever you want for, and people will still come. Um, the New York Knicks? At least as far as Spike Lee is concerned. Well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but what ten million dollars is enough? I want eleven. <sighs> but the uh, but yeah, there's some franchises who do push the envelope on that a little bit, and that's why I say like by comparison though they they at least met some resistance and then responded to the resistance that that can happen. It is possible, but when too many people acquiesce, then that's where you run into a big long-term problem. That'll be another discussion for another day, but I think that's a topic worth discussing further. So that's it for my main news and notes. All right. Sounds good. So So without further ado, then the AL central. Woo. I was going to expect, you know, maybe some theme music, maybe a little song, but I get all I get is a woo. You you were lucky you got that woo. I'm looking at these teams and I'm like, I, I barely even felt compelled to give you the woo. That's fair enough. Um, all right, I'm just going to start in the order that I wrote them down this week. We're going to start with the Royals. You know what the only thing I have written down for the Royals is, Carlos? Screwed the Blue Mike- Jays out of the 2015 uh, World Series? Nope. Uh, Mike Matheny is the manager now, uh, moving over from the Cardinals. I do like that move, uh, but I don't really have a lot to say about the Royals other than that. I don't think they're going to be very good, and they're not going to make the playoffs. So, yeah, Kansas City. Woo. 
Although I do like Kansas City. The barbecue's nice. They don't have a pier, but the barbecue's nice. I'm very disappointed in the lack of a pier. That really is uh, that really is tragic. Well, Kansas City has a Super Bowl champion. They got that. True. You know what? They don't need baseball. <laughs> they have the Chiefs. <laughs> I was going to say, Patrick Mahomes is fine. It'll do. That's true. You know what? And you know, here's the thing. You could just get confused because those stadiums are, are, share a parking lot, right? It's one of those where it's, you know, just a gigantic parking lot with two stadiums in it. So, you know, too bad they don't play at the same time for most of the season. You just be like, oh, actually, I, I, I meant to go over there where Patrick Mahomes is playing. You know what? Actually, here's the thing. If Patrick Mahomes played baseball, I bet you they'd be a lot better team. Well, we know he can throw. Yes, he can. And his dad was a major leaguer. So there you go. Yep. The, uh, so I think we've solved the problems for Kansas City. Sign Patrick Mahomes, and the rest will take care of itself. Brilliant. I love it. All right, I'll give you two things about the Kansas City Royals. One, uh, they did have, now I don't expect him to repeat the performance exactly, but they do have Jorge Soler, who was, um, I believe he had 48 home runs last year, if memory serves me, uh, which is pretty darn good. I don't expect him to repeat that exact performance. However, with that said, um, if he's able to come anywhere near that level of production, at least there'll be a hitter worth watching on the Kansas City roster. Um, they also won the World Series in 2015, so I don't think the fan base has anything to complain about. Obviously, they sucked for a long time before that. You know, the last championship was, I think, in 85, I want to say. That is correct. Was it 85? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was. Nice. Oh, good for me remembering that one. Um, but the reality is, you know, right now we're within five years. Also when they screwed the Blue Jays. True. Uh, that is a history. They are a historical rival, even though they suck pretty much all the rest of the time. So there you go. The um, What I will say, though, is that um, there really isn't much reason to be that optimistic. They've been kind of awful the last couple of years. They are probably going to be awful again this year. And um, with that said, though, uh, are you ready for the random uh, stat line? Oh, please. I live for the random stat line. All right. This is when, again, I will reemphasize for everyone, going back, uh, the worse the team is, the more random or sad the stat line is. So the stat line for the Kansas City Royals is this. Worst home run differential in the decade of the 2010s. Worst home run differential. So wait, so we're not talking about just home run differential last year. We're talking about the entire decade. The entire decade of the 2010s. Fantastic. The Kansas City Royals are first in worst home run differential being minus 384 home runs compared to their opponents in the decade of the 2010s. Yeah, these stats, I just... Okay. You know, like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You say woo, Dave. And that included a World <laughs> Series right in the middle of it. It included a World Series in the middle of it, just so we're clear. So, let's do it. How about this? We go, Kansas City, we don't have a pier, but we have barbecue and Patrick Mahomes. Woo. And we're not Cleveland. Well... That's true. We'll get we'll to get Cleveland there, in a minute. Though. We'll get to Cleveland we'll in a minute. We'll get there. All right. Who you got next? All right. I have the Chicago White Sox next. And I'm actually excited about the Chicago White Sox. I like the Chicago White Sox. Uh, they're kind of my second favorite American League team. I don't really know why, but they just are. Hawk Harrison? Uh, yeah. Well, that too. I was going to say. And put it on the board. Yes, but he doesn't do their announcing anymore. He's retired. It doesn't matter. So. We all we all know that you basically are swayed by commentators. Do we have to go back to the Los Angeles Dodgers? No, no, not we can, but we don't have to. Uh, so yeah, th they have made a lot of moves. Now let's see whether they pay off. But they have Jose Abreu first base, Edwin Encarnacion, who presumably is going to play mostly DH. They signed pitchers Gio Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel. 
and catcher Yasmani Grandel. They also signed uh, Yoan Mancata to a contract extension. I believe he's their third baseman. Uh, so I expect like a ton of improvement from this team, based on based on where they were last year. All right, out of the playoffs, I think this roster change puts them in contention for a playoff spot. I think it's sure. a reason. I think it's reasonable what you're saying. Uh, the biggest, there, I don't have a lot to say about that, but uh, one thing I'll throw in there, and go playing off of one of the acquisitions you stated, Encarnacion has hit at least 30 home runs in eight straight seasons. Last year, the DHs combined for 17 home runs and slugged 359. I would expect Encarnacion would be a huge upgrade from that. So immediately in one position, they upgrade their offense greatly. Um, if nothing else, they upgrade their offense greatly in that one category. Last year, they were a 72-win team. So any kind of a leap that you see will get you closer to that 500. And depending on how the rest of this division shakes out, that gives you a shot to be in the top two or three. So it's it's not unreasonable. I think uh, I think you could definitely see uh, a definite improvement in the team. I would expect so. And um, they're kind of a wild card in the sense that you just it, it, it kind of depends on how some of these guys do going forward and who takes a leap, and at the same time, what these veterans are able to do with what they came up with. Dallas Keuchel's an interesting acquisition. Gio Gonzalez is an interesting acquisition. I, I really think it comes down to how many runs are you able to score, because I don't know about the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously, I think Gio Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel are great pickups for them, though, compared to where they were last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that, but that's kind of the key point. It's just, do these acquisitions pan out? And is that enough to get them? Basically, if you can get to like the mid-80s in terms of wins in this division, you've got a shot at maybe being in there in the top two. And if you are, then we'll see what the wild card is this year in the American League. Uh, it's going to really depend on parity. If if there's a little bit of parity, then you got a shot in that mid-high 80s category. Otherwise, then you're going to have to win 90, 95 wins. It, I don't know. It's going to very much depend on how the American League decides to play out this year. No, for sure. So we'll see what goes down. Um, but yeah, I think they're definitely a, should be an exciting team to watch. But then again, we've said that before about lots of teams, so who knows what happens. But they've definitely made some moves to go for it. Well, they should be better than the 2018 where they lost 100 games, so that's a step in the right direction. So they are trending back. They are trending back upwards, so that's good for them. All right, you ready for the random stat line? Yes, I am. All right, percentage of pitches that are in, that were in the strike zone in 2019. Lucas Giolito, 46 percent. Woo. Exactly. Now you see why I said as a division, woo is right. Okay. All right. Detroit Tigers. Um, I expect them to suck. I expect them to suck a lot. Um, they have some potentially interesting pieces, maybe. Uh, starting pitcher Zach Godley is a reclamation project. First base, DH, CJ Cron. And second base, Jonathan Shoup. Again, those are, let's see what they develop into. Uh yeah, I Detroit is going to be bad. They're probably not going to be much better than they were last year. Uh, so, you know, if you want to go to Detroit for a sporting event, I don't know what team you pick. Probably the Red Wings or the Pistons because you're sure as heck not picking the Lions or the Tigers. Interesting that the ones named after non-animals are the better team. The Red Wings are also bad. Yeah, but are they like Detroit Tigers level suck? Listen. When you can lose 114 games following two 98 lost seasons, nobody is going to uh, challenge you for ineptitude in that region. You know, like, I mean, I get with that we joke about the lack of research that we do for these previews, but at some point you're just like, why do I even want to talk about this team? 
Like they suck that bad. I kind of want to talk. No, I'm not going to lie to you, Dave. I kind of want to talk about this team more. 114, Dave. They lost 114 games. 100 is one thing. 114. They won 47 games. 47. They couldn't win 50. 50 games. How many months does the season go now? Hold on. Like this year, we're this year we're going to go through. It's going to begin in March, but let's just say from April, April, May, June, July, August, and September. Those are full months. Okay, so that's what seven mm-hmm. full months. Did I count that right? Sorry, April, May, June, July, August, September. Six months. Okay, so six months. That means you could not average ten wins per month. Per that's, month. Oh, you know when you put it put it like that, like the level of how brutal that is is ridiculous it's actually worse you couldn't average nine you couldn't average nine wins per month that sucks <laughs> that's that's incredible suck you would think by accident you would win 60 games you'd still lose 100 by the way but you think by accident you could win 60 games that's brutality is what it is the only thing yeah. here that interests me in the slightest the only thing that remotely interests me coming out of detroit is i want to see if miguel cabrera can recover enough of his of his remaining capability because he's a Hall of Famer. I want to see if he can put enough together to get to 500 home runs, and I think that's possible. I want to double check exactly whereabouts he is right now, but if I'm not mistaken, it's going to really depend on whether he can recover again some of his bat speed and reality is he's been hurt for so long. Yeah, he's got 477 home runs in average season. Now, mind you, he hit 282 last season. So it's not like he was. It's not like his hitting has completely fallen off the map. He just d- didn't have the power last year. Now, if he recovers some of that power, normally when a guy ages, the power stays, but the average drops. So if he hits somewhere in the 270, 280 range and recovers some of his power, hitting twenty three home runs is not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think that's insane. Which means next season he could cross over five hundred home runs and seventeen hundred RBIs, Dave. Yeah. I mean, that's very impressive. And I love me some Hall of Fame caliber power stats. Those are some solid. Those are some and, solid. And, yeah. No, I think, yeah. Basically, if you're looking for a reason to watch the Detroit Tigers or follow the Detroit Tigers, that's pretty much all you got. Yep. Miguel Cabrera. That's pretty much all you got here. What are you going to do? All right. Ready for random stat on this one? Oh, please. All right. For the Detroit Tigers, fewest 2019 home runs by a returning team leader. Think of how many levels of obscure we had to go in order to hit this one. Fewest 2019 home runs, filter one, by a returning team leader. How do you define team leader? Where do you pull that stat from? Are they saying like the team leader in home runs? I don't know. That's that's what that it's it's left to the imagination. I genuinely have no idea. But anyway, the co-leaders in this category were both Detroit Tigers, and it was Miguel Cabrera with 12 home runs and Nico Goldrum with 12 home runs. Nico Goldrum, 2020 Tigers. Let's move on. All right, and I want you to know I did some research for this, Carlos, some actual research. Be still my beating heart. So the Clevelands, we will not mention their name because, you know, reasons. Wait, wait, Uh, wait, what reasons? (laughs) Because... Because uh, Jerry Howarth stopped calling, he just calls him Cleveland. He does not mention what what the okay, team name is. Okay, out of all the, is is this because of the Native American thing? Yes, it is. But literally Indians. Do you know what's the only part where I would agree? If you want to argue with me about the Chief Wahoo logo, I get that. That, that no problem. Totally with you. But it's literally the word Indians. 
Literally the word, Indians. If you eliminate the Chief Wahoo logo, that like is 80, that's actually about 99.9% of the offensiveness of it. It's not like the Redskins. The Redskins is literally a derogatory term. Well, I mean, some would argue that Indians is two now, but fair enough. I don't want to get into a big. I don't want to get into a big. Maybe they're from India, that. Dave. Maybe there's a lot of people from India in Cleveland, Dave. Well, there probably are, but that's that's not why they're named that. Anyway, the point is about the research. All right, eh? research. Go for it. There is a pier in Cleveland called the Edgewater Pier, and it is like the literally, <laughs> I like. It's it's literally the worst beer I've ever seen in my life. Hold on, like we're, we're rating beers now. Hold on, go on. <laughs> okay, it's just so bad. Girl. Like, it's look. in Cleveland, of course. It's bad. <laughs> Nothing in Cleveland is good. <laughs> like, put a link to a picture in the description. What is the problem with the pier? Analyze <laughs> this pier for me. <laughs> because it's just, it's like it doesn't. It, it's just a pier. <laughs> and there's like no rhyme or reason for it existing, where it exists, or why it's that. You know what it's is it like? Is like somebody's backyard? Like what, what are you talking no, about? No, it's like in a random, random park on on Lake Michigan. But you know how like some piers are like breakwaters, you know, or something like that. No, it's just literally like let's build some concrete out of the middle of uh, sorry, not Lake Michigan, Lake Erie. Let's build some concrete in the middle of Lake Erie and uh, put some benches on it, and then not take care of it and watch it dilapidate. That is what it is. The entire latter portion of it, you could have basically just described Cleveland. Well, let it dilapidate. <laughs> Cleveland. We let it dilapidate. Anyway, uh, Cleveland. They didn't trade Frances- Francesco, uh, Fran- whatever, Lindor. Francesco Lindor. Uh, which is, I think, good. Uh, Give but it time. They, well, it's true. He's gone by the trade deadline. Uh, they still need outfield depth, which they don't have. They got Delano to Shields, which I'm is definitely not a game changer. Uh, but most importantly, most importantly, Puig is gone. Well, Puig is gone from everybody right now. He is. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll let other people be the judge of that. But overall, let me just say this. Uh, I expect Cleveland, to, he's gone. So I expect Cleveland to be mediocre to slightly good this year. I think they'll still be in it because uh, I think they still have enough talent. But I feel this is a team that is sort of, on the way, you know, they had the couple years where they were in the playoffs, and I think they're on a downward spiral now. How far down that goes remains to be seen, uh, but I'm I'm not expecting amazing things from this team. I think the biggest problem is that I really they really missed their window. The losing to how it was bad when it happened, but if memory serves me, please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe I it was the Cleveland Indians who lost to the Chicago Cubs in the World Series. I believe so, yes. Now, how bad does that look considering how much the Cubs have struggled since and the fact that you were two very um, very destroyed franchises that had struggled so mightily and both had extended droughts and one of you had to win and you were the team that basically broke the Chicago Cubs 100 plus year stranglehold on not winning a thing. Yeah. And then you continue on. That's remarkable. That's tremendous. That's really uh, it, it's one of those things, though, that, like Cleveland has remained competitive. They can remain, remain decent. Like you just take the last since 2016. They won 94 games. They won 102 games. They won 91 games. They won 93 games. They've been decent. They've been very good. But the thing is, it just never translated. And they've had good players. It didn't translate. They had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to make that leap. 
and being in the World Series is so hard. And when you get there and it's like and you fall short to the Chicago Cubs, like what do you do after that? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, actually. That's kind of rough is what I'm trying to get at here, because I think uh, I think I think the last Cleveland World Series was forty eight. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So that's that's bad is what I'm trying to say. That's like the opposite of good. It's um, dilapidated pure bad. Is it that bad, though, Carlos? Really? Yeah, it is, Dave. 1948. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it, the pier is just kind of, yeah, dilapidated or not. It's just lame. It, it's a random pier in the, in the middle. I would have preferred if you had told me it was in somebody's backyard. But the point is, dilapidated pier is random, and I'm glad we were able to incorporate a pier into this division. But the point is that, yes, it is dilapidated pier bad. 1948. We're in 2020. It's pretty bad. It's, uh, they, they last won their World Series when the Knicks were two years old. Wow. That's bad. When you put it like that, yeah. It's kind of bad, Dave. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 Yep. Or, if you prefer, I can put this in a different way for everybody. My dad random was... Stat? Born, my dad... Sorry? Never mind. Sorry. I thought you were, that you were going with a random stat, but... No, no. I'm going to get to the random stat in a second here. But the I can put this in a different way for everybody. It's like this. My dad was born in 1954. He's old. He was born six years after they last won a World Series. He has lived an entire lifetime. He is 65. He is going to be 66. Wow. Yep. That, yeah. He is not a yeah. young man is what I'm trying to say. And yet, never seen Cleveland win a World Series. Not that he would have watched even if they did, but didn't happen. But at least we have a dilapidated uh, pier. We got that. That's okay. all I need, man. All right. Random stat right, give line. Give me the random stat. Random stat line. Highest swing and miss percentage in 2019. Fran Mill <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That's actually not a horrible random stat as random stats go well because they're because they're at least moderately okay it, it, it's like i said the worse the team is the more random and oddly specific the stat gets i think that's how this works well you know i appreciate this we like the when we can get random we like the randomness all right ready for the minnesota twins Woo. so minnesota is an interesting team they were a playoff team last year uh, and they got absolutely smoked in the division series. Uh, so I don't really know what to think of Minnesota, but I expect them to be at least as good as they were last year. They, I mean, I don't know if they're going to win 100 games this year like they did last year, uh, but I still expect them to be quite good. Uh, they picked up Donald, Josh Donaldson at third base. I think that's a great pickup. Uh, they picked up Rich Hill as a starting pitcher. I think if he can stay healthy, that's a great pickup. Uh, I doubt he will stay healthy because, you know, his t- recent history has been he will get injured at some point. But even then, I think, you know, that's a kind of somebody in the playoffs that I think could really help them. Uh, and they also picked up uh, Kenta Maeda in a trade with the Dodgers, which I also think is going to be uh, helpful. I don't know if he's going to start or he's going to relieve. I imagine that he will at least begin the year as a starting pitcher. Uh, the Dodgers the last few years have had him be a starting pitcher in the regular season and then it moved him into the bullpen uh, in the postseason and that's been quite successful. Uh, so we'll see how uh, the Twins decide to use him. But overall, I think just with those three players alone, you're going to see some, you know, I don't know, like I said, I think you're going to see improvement. I don't know if that necessarily means improvement in terms of wins, but in terms of overall team performance and how the team gels and whatnot, I think that's going to be an improvement. Uh, whether that means they get, you know, I think they'll get into the playoffs. Whether that means they get further than the division series this year, I don't know. But it probably means they aren't going to get swept. That's my take on Minnesota. 
So a couple of things. While I haven't done deep, deep research, there are a couple of thoughts that I have about the Minnesota Twins. One is, it is dang- it, they're an interesting team that could be all or nothing. Last year, they were very close to, if I don't remember if they did in fact lead the league, but they were right up there in home runs. And that was part and parcel of their game last year, where they hit just a ton of home runs. Um, and the big thing is bringing in Josh Donaldson like adds to that. It only you know exemplifies that a little bit more. But the thing is that Josh Donaldson's 34. They signed him to a longer-term contract, so they're hoping that he can retain his uh, production. I don't see any reason why not. He's still capable, I think, of maintaining his production. But the other aspect of it is that another guy they lean on for a ton of home runs is Nelson Cruz. Now, here's the thing about Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz is a great power hitter. Like, last year he hit 311 for 41 home runs and 108 RBIs. He's a monster. He's a machine. But here's the problem, Dave. Nelson Cruz is three years older than we are, so wow. he's not a spring he's getting, chicken. He's, he's getting up there, man. He will be 40 in, on July the 1st. Wow. So it's one of those things you just got to kind of bear in mind, you know, all I'm saying. I'm not saying he, I don't, last year he had 41 home runs and hit 311. I'm not expecting him to suddenly fall off the table. But what I'm trying to say is bear in mind any kind of regression, which would not be unreasonable at age 40, any kind of regression that I see um, will obviously hurt that. And if Josh Donaldson is not able to replicate his performance of last year, that will obviously he'll add to a certain degree. But I don't know if this team will hit as many home runs. And if they're not capable of hitting as many home runs, there could very easily be a drop off from the 101 wins beyond what the things you outlined. So that's kind of the interesting thing about this is they relied a lot on their offense. So the question becomes, can they replicate enough of that? And does Josh Donaldson help enough of that to allow them to get anywhere close? If they're somewhere in the mid 90s in wins, I think they win the division. I don't think they I don't think that's an issue. But the question is, can they hold off enough and keep the regression at bay enough to maintain their stranglehold on the division for another year? Yeah, I think that's the fair point. And I think that's what a, a lot of people are going to be asking, you know, the same question. Yeah. And, you know, we you, shall see, right? You are relying on a couple of aging power hitters is my main thing, though. It's just that that's, yeah. that's always a little scary because you just don't know what's going to happen. No, for sure, right? Especially if somebody's, you know, 40, you, you know... You expect a little bit of drop off. I think that's natural. The question is, you know, how much drop off, right? Yeah. There is there is a threshold under which it's like it hurts you a little bit more than it helps. But we're going to see what happens on that. Okay. Anything else about these guys? Uh, no, I think I'm ready to give you my one through five. All right, but before you do that, oh, random stat. Oh, random stat time, and it is, and it does have to do with Nelson Cruz. So I'm going to explain Beauty. this. So I'm going to explain the stat first. Percentage of plate appearances barreled in 2019. What does barreled mean, Dave? I'm assuming that means that he got the barrel of the bat on the ball. It would be logical. But what specifically, there is a definition here. It is contacts with combined velo and angle to produce a plus a 500 average plus average and 1.5 plus slugging minimum 400 plate appearances. Also known as somebody in analytics had way too much time on their hands. <laughs> I oh lost my. track of it, and I just read it. I don't know what velo is. Well, actually, hold on. Let me correct myself. I think it's velocity, but I don't know why they just didn't write velocity. I feel like there's enough room to write velocity. So if, it, if so, contacts with combined velocity and angle to produce a plus, a, a .500 plus average and 1.5 
1.500 plus slugging, minimum 400 plate appearances. Yeah. They just, I don't know. Sometimes I feel it's just like, what are you doing with these stats? But the important part, Dave, is that Nelson Cruz leads uh, last year with 12%. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it sounds good. And he was ahead of Gary Sanchez, ahead of all-time overrated player Mike Trout, ahead of Aaron Judge, and ahead of Miguel Sano. Well, I mean, that's all you need to know right there. 1% ahead of Mike Trout. Nelson Cruz, a true champion, a true hero that we need. (laughs) Anything you can do to just hate on Mike Trout. Well, actually, I got a new stat for you about Mike Trout. Okay. I am willing to concede to everyone that Mike Trout is at least in my top two favorite baseball players with fish names. There is Tim Salmon out there. I'm sure there's a Sturgeon. Maybe he's top three. I would would assume so. Maybe he's top top three, actually. That's what you can tell us next week, right? Fill us in on your, you know, top five baseball players with fish in their name. I wonder if there's a guppy. I would totally put guppy ahead of him. Yeah. I'm I'm I await what you have to come up with next week, Carlos. And don't think I'm on piers now. You can be on baseball players with fish names. I can't decide which one's sadder. Mind you, I the can't. analysis of Pier I, I still feel like a full analysis of Piers is gonna be forthcoming soon. All right, uh, did we get through all the teams? Or okay, we... sorry, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> what? Because because the internet, um, and and this didn't take me very long to find. Would you like to know, according to Reddit.com, the all fish team in Major League Baseball, Carlos? This is the kind of content I needed, Dave. I got Piers, that's good, but I need this, the all-time fish team. Bring it, Dave. Right. <clears throat> uh you're starting. Le- I'm just gonna go in the order. You're starting left fielder, Kevin Bass. Bass, starting- of course. I forgot. That's an obvious. You're, one. you're uh, starting shortstop, Oyster Burns, who looks like he played in 1870s. Hmm. Center fielder, Mike Trout. Right fielder, Carlos's favorite, Tim Salmon. Tim Salmon was solid. D- at DH, AJ Pollock. Is Pollock third- a fish? I guess. Okay, I didn't um, know that. Sure. At third base, Lip Pike. That also a great name. That one I get. Okay. Yep. Uh, first base, Sid Bream. Bream? Yeah, I don't know. And your catcher, Mike Conger. If you would like, there is more. Your bench, Mike Carp, Chico Salmon, Ed Whiting, and Calix Crab. Your starting rotation, Dizzy Trout, Jack Morris, Catfish Hunter, Mudcat Grant, and Steve Trout. How many Trouts can you have on the same team? And in your bullpen... Art Herring, Marlon Stewart, Anthony Bass, Brian Bass, Chris Way, George Haddock, and Robbie Ray. I feel like you could really clean up on those basses. The the basses is a big one. A bream is actually a common fish. It's called the common bream. Uh, fr- freshwater bream. Okay. Bream is a thing. Huh. But there you go. I would never have known that. That's crazy. See, this is the kind of unnecessary nonsense we bring you to. The all-fish team. And how many names did you read off, basically? You read off like an entire team, didn't you? I did. I so, think, I, I'm not going to say I read off 25 names, but it was pretty darn close. So then I'm willing to definitely put uh, Trout in the top 10. I won't say which Trout. That's fair, since there were like six of them. But he's definitely behind all the basses. Well, that's fair. And probably Bream. So anyway, um, ready for the one through five? All right, go for it. Okay. I have the Twins retaining the division crown, followed by the White Sox as a playoff team. They're going to get a wild card. Cleveland, 
the Royals, and the Tigers, to which you say? All right. We're going to go with the Minnesota Twins winning the division, followed by the Cleveland Indians, followed by the Chicago White Sox, Kansas City Royals in fourth, and the Detroit Tigers taking up the rear. All right. I have it marked down. There is the AL Central preview. Uh, next week, you can look forward to the NL East. The NL East? My goodness. And you can find out if there are any fish players on the Florida Marlins. That would be appropriate. And by Florida, I mean Miami, because I always call them Florida Marlins. And usually Carlos corrects me on that. But just so you know, next week, I'm going to say call them Florida Marlins at least three times. I will set the over-under at four and a half. Can we just move in Montreal and be done with it? That would be fine with me. Just saying. But you're going to need a stadium because the Olympic Stadium, hell no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a hell to the no. So anything else we want to add there? Uh, No, that's it. And in terms of looking forward to, uh, I don't have anything this week. The Raptor, other than the Raptors are wrapping up their road trip with games on Sunday night in Sacramento and Monday night in Utah. Uh, So far, it's going pretty well. They've only lost to, um, crap, who did they lose to? Somebody out west, but I can't remember which team. (laughs) But they've beaten uh, Phoenix, and they beat, wow, I've just drawn a blank here. Uh, Golden State. They beat Golden State in the rematch of the playoffs, the championships, which was good. I think, And it was nice to see Steph Curry get back in the game. So you've got that. Uh, and then the Raptors do have Golden State in the not-too-distant future traveling to Toronto. Uh, so I look forward to that as well. Brilliant. I'm starting to check out some of the spring training games, trying to get into that a little bit. I will give a couple of recommendations for some folks. Uh, this is kind of really locally based. However, if you're interested in general things, um, I'll make you a couple of suggestions. One of them is, um, again, this is super local, but if you want to get a kick out of somebody freaking out and losing their minds, then I would recommend this. If you go to YouTube, you can look up Steve Dangle. Now, Steve Dangle is a local, uh, is a local quote-unquote sports personality, we'll call him. Uh, he did end up writing a book, but he started off on YouTube, and that was kind of his big claim to fame before he ended up on Sportsnet on a lot of different things. Now, why do I bring him up? Because part of his shtick is that he actually, for the last, I would say, 13 years, has been doing uh, like a post-game, a post-mortem of every Leafs game, where basically he goes in and freaks out and does little skits and basically just yells and screams and loses his mind. But the reason I bring him up is that if you go, you you won't want the most recent one because it's been a little while. But if you do his most popular videos, uh, this was about a week ago. Uh, all the videos that do the Leaf game recaps are called LFR, Leaf. Uh, I think it's just, yeah, LFR. So Leaf fan recap, I believe is how it goes. Whatever. The point is that he did about a week ago. It's called LFR. They lost to a Zamboni driver, which was his reaction to the David Ayers game. Which is Ooh, which nice. is fantastic. It's got almost four. It's got four hundred and ninety-two thousand views. I don't care if you're a fan of the Maple Leafs. I don't care if you hate the Maple Leafs. Watching a man lose his mind, thinking about David Ayers, the fact that they lost to a Zamboni driver who works for their minor league club is glorious. It's very cathartic. You can. It's really enjoyable. If you enjoy some Schadenfreude, that's pretty good. I like it. You can watch the suffering of others. So that's my first recommendation. My second recommendation. Um, is in the same vein, but this one is super local. So this one is less uh, generally applicable. However, I don't check out enough. I have a subscription to the to the Athletic, but I don't check out enough of their podcasts. And if you're a fan, here's my general recommendation. If you do have the Athletic, even if you don't, check out some of the podcasts they do because they do a pretty good job doing ones for specific teams. 
Uh, there's a, there used to be a Packer one that was pretty good, and now this year I'm listening to the Blue Jay one that's called Birds All Day, where they do different ones, and it's from the Athletic Network. You don't need to have a subscription to the Athletic to check it out. You can check it on your podcast apps. But they do talk about different aspects of the Jays, and they've got like a weekly podcast. And But regardless of what your team is, there's a good chance there is a podcast related to it. You just probably have to look up The Athletic and try searching for your team and maybe, and maybe add the word podcast in there. And then more than likely, you'll find one. So that's just a general suggestion I would throw out to you because a lot of these are pretty well produced. And um, if you like to listen more about your local team and your local sports talk and all that isn't enough, there's a little extra for you. Nice. So there you go. Let it not be said that I do not give the people some sound advice. I think they will enjoy it. Good stuff. All right. So that'll be it for us this time around. If you want to check out any more of these episodes, you can check it out on, Google, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And on YouTube, you can type in Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast and you'll get that. We've got some social medias, but they've been in disarray for a while. Eventually, I may just put Dave in charge of it. It'll give him something to do for once in his life. And then we can at least uh, have that updated. But in the meantime, you can check us out in all those other spots. I like it. Good stuff. So that's it for me and Dave, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.